0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. This is my 31st year on the Jets, and each year with week one, there's always a sense of renewal, new stories, new players, new coaches, new personalities, and for the fans, new hope. And that's what we have this year with the Jets, the 2019 season. I am fired up to cover it, to bring it to you. We will be your number one source on the Jets all year. And I just want to thank you ahead of time for choosing Flight Deck to get your Jet stuff. We have an excellent show for this uh, week's podcast. In the second quarter, our special guest will be Jets fan extraordinaire and also a, a social media icon, Gary Vaynerchuk, whose goal someday is to own the Jets. And uh, we'll be talking to him coming up shortly, and he has some great stuff to share, I'm sure. And uh, you know, I just can't wait to get his take on the season. and I'm gonna give you my take right now. In a nutshell, here's where I think the jets are right now and i and I hearken back to something Bill Parcells used to say uh, when he was analyzing a team going into the season, and he always said, "How are they gonna win the game?" In other words, what are the strengths of this team? You know, how are they going to put up W's? And so when I look at the 19 Jets, you know, it's really hard to say because it's such a new team, a new coaching staff, a new regime, a lot of new players. So I think over the first three or four games, their personality will be formed, their identity will be created, but I can say this much. I usually have a pretty good gut feel for some of this stuff. So let me just give you my thoughts on what the team might look like. And I hearkened to a quote from uh, Sam Darnold just on Monday talking to the media. I asked him, what do you think the identity of the offense will be? And the first word he said was electric. And I thought about that. And you know what? I don't disagree with him in the sense that this offense is going to be up-tempo. They're going to do a lot of no-huddle. They're going to be moving fast. They've been working on it all summer. And so that'll be, a, I think, a refreshing change for them. So in that sense, yes, they will be electric compared to previous Jet offenses. They're going to try to push the tempo. When Adam Gase sat down with Sam Darnold in April for the first time, he punched up some Peyton Manning clips from a few years ago with the Broncos. And he said, this is how I want to run this offense. No huddle we want to move fast and Sam Darnold embraced it. I think he's fired up to run that style of offense. And I'm going to use a basketball analogy here and I'm not equating the Jets to this team, but Adam Gase said recently that he wants his five skill position players on offense to be like a basketball team. Uh you know, interchangeable players, you know, different roles, you know, can move around. And so I think the Jets really want to be like the Golden State Warriors in that Five guys who play fast, roles are largely interchangeable, and can really push tempo. So I think that's what the Jets you know, envision. Of course, they want to win like the Warriors. Who doesn't? But uh, they have a ways to go for that. But I think that's the style they want to embrace. And on defense, this is going to be a strong team up front. The defensive line is the strength of the team. Uh, I think they'll do well against teams that want to play in a phone booth, that want to play in a box. And by that, I mean teams that like to run it, like the Cowboys, certainly when they play the Giants, I think the Bengals, maybe even the Jaguars. Those are the teams that the Jets will play good against uh defensively. Now, they're going to struggle against the teams that spread them out and play four receivers and force their linebackers to cover in space. And, of course, the Patriots come to mind because they can play that way. And 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 in Week 2, the Browns are going to play that way with Baker and uh, Odell and Jarvis Landry. So those are the teams that, if I'm a Jet fan, I'm really worried about because the Jets are thin in the secondary and their linebackers are not great in coverage. So that, that worries me a lot. And so when I put it all together, I see the Jets going 7-9 and nine this year. I think it's going to be a week-to-week thing, just depending on the matchups. And that gets me into this week's game. They play the Bills, and there's some good matchups with the Jets this week and some that would trouble me. What I like about this is the Jet corners, I think, will do fine this week. I think Tremaine Johnson is going to play. And there's, the Bills receivers are not – they don't scare me, the Bills receivers. So I think the Jets' top three corners are going to be okay. Uh The other matchup I like in this one – and by the way, for Tremaine Johnson, you may want to pay attention on the first play of the game because the last time you were coming back from a leg injury was against the Bills last year, and they went at you. With a bomb on the first play, 47 yards to Robert Foster. Things went downhill from there. So I would think Tremaine Johnson might want to make a mental note of that. But the other matchup I like is Greg Williams' defense versus Josh Allen. I am not a huge Josh Allen believer yet. He's got some accuracy issues. Uh Lowest completion percentage last year in the league, 53%. Uh, I looked this up. It blew my mind. His completion percentage when throwing into the end zone was only 21%. Again, the lowest in the league. And I think Greg Williams is going to scheme up some stuff. That really keeps him off balance. And they're going to have to keep him in the pocket because he can run. The Jets found out out the hard way, 100 yards rushing last year. But I think the Williams factor in this game is the reason why I'm giving the Jets a slight advantage. And I think the Jets are going to win this game. A couple of matchups that worry me, the Jet offensive line has not played together all summer. No preseason action. They are facing a very good defensive front. Ed Oliver, Jerry Hughes, Star Latouille, those guys are good. And they can bring heat, and they'll only do it with a four-man rush. When the Jets played the Bills last year up in Buffalo, when Sam Darnold had that good game, the Bills blitzed on only four passing downs. They're going to send four at Sam, and they're going to rely on those guys to get there. And they can because it's a very good front. So that troubles me with the Jet offensive line, kind of a work in progress. And the other thing, special teams. The Jets are just throwing this thing together at the last second here. They just got their kicker. Corey Vedvik on waivers the other day. They got a new punt returner. Braxton Berrios, he's never returned to punt before. They're going against a really sound special teams in the Bills who have, by the way, Andre Roberts, who has this game circled on his calendar since the Jets blew him off in free agency. He took it as a personal insult. I think for the Jet fans, that is the nightmare scenario. You don't want to happen because Andre Roberts is good, and he can break a long one. Games are lost early in the season quicker on special teams than in any other unit. The Jets are going to have to be sound on special teams, but I think they'll pull it up enough together to where they eke out a victory at home against the Bills. And that is the end of the first quarter. And welcome to the second quarter. I'd like to introduce our special guest. He is a well-known entrepreneur He's a best-selling author, an internet star, CEO of Media, known to millions as Gary Vee, and last but not least, a diehard Jets fan. Welcome to the podcast, Gary Vaynerchuk. So good to have you on board, Gary.
1: Thanks, Rich. And first and foremost, a diehard
0: New York Jets fan. I know it. You, you, I, I can tell you are fired up. The season is right here. And uh, I know you're an optimistic guy by nature, but like, how pumped are you for this coming season?
1: You know, it's funny, a lot of my friends laugh that the Jets are the one place where I'm not disproportionately optimistic. <laughs> I'm quite practical. You know, I'm fired up and I'm hyped and a lot of Jet bands I interact with, you know, the, and, at the stadium and the parking lot, and they're always a little surprised because they know I'm fired up when the, when I say things like, you know, for example, with this team, I'm like, look, the first, those first six six games, like, that's not a picnic by any stretch of the imagination, especially for a team that the offensive line has no cohesion yet. Our secondary, you know, you know, we've got to get Hewitt going at, you know, and Cashman, like, you know, I'm, I, am i am unbelievably excited about this regime. My mm-hmm. most excited kind of regime since Mr. T and Rex. So for me, Joe D and gaze, I'm very bullish on, I'm ridiculously pumped about Sam. So in the unbelievable macro, I'm through the roof. But if you told me we were 7-9 and this year, that would make a lot of sense to me Mm. based on a couple of the variables, the schedule, and just kind of my intuition.
0: And, you know, you have a great sense of the history of the Jets because I don't know if the fans know that you're not one of these bandwagon jumpers. You go way back with this team. And I know you grew up in the New York, New Jersey area, and I'm just curious, like, what what sparked your fandom? Like, what created this passion for the Jets?
1: So I was born in the Soviet Union, and when I moved to Edison, New Jersey in August of 1982, I was just kind of learning the language. I'd lived in America for a little bit in Queens and then Dover, New Jersey, and I just moved to Edison. It was late summer. I went outside and there were some guys playing football with a Nerf green and white football. They asked me what my favorite team was. I had no idea. Uh, they said, I'm a Jets fan. And that was it. And I was like, you know, I kind of latched on to having friends and kind of this new place I was living. The Jets became kind of this central point to that friend group. And then that ended up being the 1982 season. And as you know, and as everybody who's listening who is old enough to know, that was a remarkably exciting season. I'll never forget Bobby Jackson running back a blocked field goal against the Vikings. That, like, completely was the moment when I think I became completely wow. addicted with football. I cried like a baby in the AFC Championship game with A.J. Dewey and the loss to the Dolphins. And from that season to this moment, I've watched every single New York Jets game with my own two eyes. No DVR, no Tebow. I th- I'm a big fan like you know if if a, I love when people are like I love like fandom like like I love meeting somebody and they're like I'm a big Jets fan and I'll ask them about Dorian Boots you know what I mean like yeah. I'll go right to the jugular of such esoteric things so yes I'm a real fan I think it was I think it was being an immigrant and having something Americana to latch on to and then I'm a competitive ambitious hungry sports oriented kind of guy and I love the journey right I grew up a huge Yankees and rangers fan as well but they won championships and i don't have that same passion and so the jets have always been my number one squad and you know and especially now cuz i've been to every road playoff game since i was old enough in 98 and so i am really this is a very big part of my life
0: man i would not want to get in like to a in a jets trivia contest with you because i think you could, <laughs> i think you could take down everybody rich,
1: rich. Rich, this is a great story. My favorite Jets story of all time of like how deep I am. And I have a great memory. I'm having dinner in London with Mike Tenenbaum when he's with the dolphins at this point, right. uh, because it's just dolphins. That game where we destroyed them, right. uh, when Fitz hit, you know, Brandon Marshall on the opening play right. opening drive. Anyway, nonetheless, um, we're sitting there having dinner the night before that Saturday night. And you know, we're just really nerding it up. And I, And I mentioned that he traded up for Santana Moss and he says he did it. I'm literally talking to the GM who traded (laughs) up for the player. And um and and I was right and he was wrong. And he's just like the face. And Mike T's got a great memory too. So yeah, man, I'm very deep. But I'm also practical, like and I'm also patient. You know, I know, you know, I'm forty three. I know there's older Jeff fans, younger Jeff fans. Look, there's only Pennington's that run he had when he came in for Vinny at one and four, right. only then and only when the Jets beat the Titans that were ten and zero in Tennessee right. with Favre, and that's right before he got hurt. Those were really even the '98 team. I was too worried about the Vikings, who didn't end up making the Super Bowl. Like I, I haven't had a lot of moments where I'm like, okay, this is it. I've never been a buyer of any quarterback, Browning Nagel, but I was like too young to be smart about it. <laughs> right. I. I'm so, I'm so convinced that we have the right kid and now it's a health issue, right? Anything can happen. You see Andrew Luck, all these things, but to have, and and I'm wildly optimistic about gays and I'll tell you why, Mm -hmm. whether Adam turns out to be P Carroll and Belichick and his second stop is his building block, or if he doesn't, or if he doesn't, if, you know, if he doesn't do a good job over the next three years and he's out of here, regardless There is no doubt that he is an unbelievable quarterback mind and coach. And you can look at all sorts of players, whether McCowan, whether Kitna, whether, you know, Cutler, Brock Oswaller, all these guys had their best, forget about Manning, all these guys that I just mentioned had their best quarterback season with Gaze touching it. Mm -hmm. So I just think that our core asset is Sam Darnold. And our head coach is genuinely super talented at the position. And and I'd love to see Gaze be here for 18 years. We could use that run in our franchise history. Yes. But I I really am that excited that year two, three, four, in my opinion, minimally, will be under Gaze's guys And so I'm optimistic about the macro. Again, I'm a little bit cautious because I think we're a little bit beat up and you know, missing a little continuity and we go into the harder part of the schedule to start the season. What
0: now you talked about Sam? Now, I know, you know, Sam on a personal level. What Mm -hmm. is it about? Mm Because you've lived through the horrors of the Geno Smith era. And and, Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned Mm -hmm. Nagel. That's a blast from the past. Mm -hmm. What is it about Sam that has you so excited?
1: things. And and listen, I know a lot of guys. I I knew Mark Sanchez, who I think is a great dude, but I wasn't as optimistic as other fans were about his play. So my ability, you know, I want to be historically right more than being someone's friend or kind on the radio with them. So like, very honestly, football talk, there's two very obvious things. One, (laughs) Sam can make every throw on the field. And for everybody who's listening right now, if you're a big time football, knowledgeable fan, We have not had that situation at quarterback very often. Uh, It's why I've referenced Favre. It has not been the situation. Um, And then number two, he is disproportionately the best in-the-pocket quarterback at this young of an age from Geno, Bryce Petty, Sanchez, like any of these, you know, Kellen Clemens, who I was weirdly optimistic about because Jaws tricked me on draft day that it was a good pick. (laughs) You know, I've, I've, I've re- like as you can tell by the references I'm making. I'm nerdy about this stuff. He's wildly comfortable in the pocket. If you look at him, there's, there's a little bit of like a Ben Roethlisberger thing, which I think will lead to, you know, two to four turnovers this year that really piss us off as fans. Right. But there's something there. There's something there. Even the, even the, the Giants game, there was a pass that it was, I think, the big pass over the middle, whether it was to. Herndon or Crowder, I don't recall, but I, I recall I recall knowing that again, there's another play that Gino would have went backwards. A couple of the other guys would have been happy feet, but he stayed in there and navigated within it. And it's ultimately his patience in the pocket that I think is really exciting me at this early of a stage, and the ability to throw the out and the deep ball and everything else, which is. Which has honestly been a a limitation of a lot of our guys, Pennington, Sanchez, Gino, and others. He's got every throw in the repertoire. Good touch, that little loop he did to Montgomery the other day, like that was a real struggle for a lot of our quarterbacks, you know. You know, and so yeah, I'm excited about it. And he's so level like the one advantage of knowing him a little bit, like you know, I hate the Giants, but what I always envied in Eli was he had a certain personality that really worked. I think with New York, you've got to be Eli or you got to be Baker. You got to be extreme on one or the other. Right. I think Sam is not as cerebral as Eli. I think he's got a little more fire in him than kind of like out, even outwardly than people realize, but the quality of the human being that Sam is and the work I know he's putting in, it's really good. I mean, it's a really it's a really nice situation when you think about him and Jamal as leader young leaders. Right. And then and then like I've gotten very nerdy about this, you know, because of my Instagram, so many players. I mean, the Jets literally last week trade for a corner from the Colts, as a lot of our fan base knows. I immediately go to follow him on Instagram. Sure enough, he's, you know, I DM him, welcome to New York. He replies in a minute, hey, I'm a fan. So, like, I've been able to get a lot more insight to the guys over the last three years as my notoriety has grown. I just feel really happy about the quality of a lot of the kids in our locker room.
0: You, you make a great point, Gary. I wanted to ask you about this. So when the Jets signed Le'Veon Bell, the first interview he does with Sports Illustrated, they asked him why he came to New York. And he said, uh you know, of course, the contract. And, and then he said, Gary V, you know, so you recruited him in some fashion. Take me inside that. Did you like get on the horn and just say, hey, Le'Veon, come to the Jets? Or what influence did you have as a recruiter?
1: You know, I'm not going to break our kind of like, I want to be very thoughtful here now that I'm a little bit more in the public eye, but let me say this. I have a screenshot in my phone that when I die, I want printed out and put in my funeral because it is one of my prized possessions. The fact that I'm now getting into a place in my life where I carry any kind of weight, whether it's you know, a cool fan that people want to associate with or, you know, what's amazing is that every athlete in all sports, which is why I have a lot of relationships are getting more into entrepreneurship. I mean, Rich, let me say this. I, I, I'm, I never want to overstate anything I do because I think to begin with my personality is quite bravado esque, And I think I never want to come across like non palpable and like douchey in any way. But let me say this. I worked Le'Veon and Kevin Durant this last off season as a human being unofficially mm-hmm. in a very real way. And the text I got for Le'Veon before anybody broke the news is I'm literally, my, my face is hurting right now because I'm smiling so much. Wow. You can't, can you share I that? I really think <laughs> I really, yeah. I mean, I really think I might have had an impact, but you'd have to ask him. Maybe he's just being awesome to me and those that that would mean a lot to me, hmm. but I really tried and I really tried to explain why New York is different than Pittsburgh and what the benefits are and the access that you're afforded and all the values that being in the greatest city in the world is. And, and not to mention, and I know everybody who's listening knows this, whoever is involved with a Super Bowl champion Jets team is forever ingrained into New York culture in a way that really matters. I mean, 86 Mets are still bouncing around making money and right. living a lifestyle of something that they did in 1986.
0: Right. I mean, look at Namath. He's a god. You know, he's he's the guy. 50 years later in, uh, you know, the, the last championship. Wh- wh- I- wh-
1: whoever is the four or five faces of the Super Bowl Jets team when it finally happens will have leverage in a way that they can't understand. That is not what happens in Carolina or Arizona or Tampa Bay or Cleveland. It's just not.
0: Do you typically like during the off season and free agency and stuff? Was Le'Veon the first guy you tried to recruit for the Jets, or were there other other guys yeah, over yeah, the years?
1: Yeah, this is the first time. Now that what's happened in the last year or two because of my Instagram following. I've got, jeez, people follow me and they're engaging me, right? On? Like these people are engaging me. So I'm trying to be very, you know, thoughtful. I don't want to bother. I don't have any relationship with the Jets organization around this. I'm just a fan who's DMing a player really no different than anybody else who can do it with the way social media works now. Other than because of entrepreneurship, a lot of these guys are watching my content, listening to my podcast. So it's carrying a little more juice. I don't really, you know, I don't really know it, you know, this is not like a thing that I'm up to. Mm-hmm. Obviously, my brother also runs an NFL sports agency, right? So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also really not trying to reach out to people for that reason. I'm just a ridiculous Jets fan, and really I'm willing to rip off my left arm for them to win a Super Bowl.
0: And you say ridiculous. I know you have a rather large collection of Jet jerseys. Can you tell us about that? I mean, even obscure players you have, yeah. correct? Right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I currently have a, nine, a number 37 Kerry Rhodes jersey in my in my, uh, in my my closet. And for anybody who doesn't understand what that means, before Kerry Rhodes wore number 25, he wore number 37. And I thought he was going to be a steal of a draft pick. And I had a custom jersey made. Um, and then literally Hunter, uh, the this, this secondary guy, Hunter, Pete Hunter, I don't recall exactly his first name, but he got traded or cut. I think he got traded. And Kerry took 25. I I've already got a Wesco, you know, I've got wow. Nathan Shepard. I'm like, you know, I'm Dorch has been ordered. I'm not even sure, you know, like, you know, like, you know, some of these guys get cut and come back. I have Wallace Wright, Jersey. I have J- Jason Glenn was one of my favorite jets of all time. Number 58 special teamer during that good run. Sure. Like I, I have, there's been, uh, for my 40th birthday, three years ago, AJ, my brother bought me 13 jerseys to round out the entire 53-man roster because I have every one of them. There's not a lot of people that walk around. I have a Tennessee jersey. I literally have the long snappers jersey. So what I love to do is to jet. I wear to Jet Games very esoteric, obscure jerseys that allow me to peacock and make sure that all the other fans realize how deep I go with this squad.
0: Wow, that's amazing. What is your most cherished piece of Jet memorabilia?
1: I have a ticket stub from eighty four, I believe, of Jets Chargers, uh, where we lost the damp Outs, but but I went that was my first game and so that is for me personally the most treasured thing.
0: Wow. Wow. What's your uh fam- your your favorite moment being a Jet fan? Like the best the pinnacle so far for you?
1: And there isn't even a close second, so I'm glad you're asking me. Yeah. So Jets Patriots, round two, right? Two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. We lost 45 to three or something five weeks earlier. So I go to every game and all, every playoff game for sure, excuse me. Uh, and a bunch of my friends bailed. They didn't want to go up there. They hate the Patriots and they don't want to deal with getting beat 40 to seven and just sitting through that misery. So we get there, small group of us. Big shout out to Luziano and Sam Ben Ruby, along with my brother AJ, for making the trip. We went up there and we basically were dead men walking. We walked right. in exp- knowing our fate. And I still think that's one of the best Patriot teams that they've ever had. And and Brady mentions it occasionally in interviews. Mm -hmm. So deep down, it gives me satisfaction because I know he thought that that was one of their best squads. And we sit down, and there's this guy in front of us giving us a real hard time in the beginning. If Jeff Vance, remember, the opening drive, the Patriots cruise down the field. And then out of nowhere, a wildly big mistake, unusual for Brady, and David Harris intercepts it. Should have ran it back. You know, Algie Crumpler ran him down. We missed a field goal, a chip shot, but it set up the greatest Jets win of my life, no doubt about it. And and just to be able to grab that Patriots fan who was riding me very inappropriately the whole way, he tried to run out the stadium right before the game ended, and I grabbed him, and I said, now what? And just (laughs) sitting there and watching the, you know, the Braylon Edwards flip and the can't-wait-bart, interview, I didn't hear what he said because we were at the game, but that moment was and really those four playoff road wins, you know, within that year in essence, right? Mm. Were just so incredible. San Diego, I didn't think we had a shot. They were so hot. The Bengals win, you know, just that whole little run. And and so that but definitely that Patriots game. And then I would also argue it wasn't the best, but I there was that moment when Calvin Pace created the fumble and Leonard picked it up, and we went up seventeen seven against the Colts in the AFC Championship game. Yeah. That reminded me of the Blake Spence blocked punt in Denver, which I was at as well. The ten nothing lead, yeah. you know, yeah. obviously every diehard Jet fan. Those were the two moments that kind of gave you, oh my God, we're within, you know, min, you know, we're within thirty minutes, twenty minutes, forty minutes of a Super Bowl. So. Those were were great moments. And honestly, I think the best moments are yet to come. I'm really, really genuinely excited about the way this team is being built. And I'll be honest with you, Douglas, to me, is a huge coup. It was an enormous, enormous move by the organization. I have no idea what ownership thought about firing a GM post-draft and free agency. I knew that they had a feel that they were going to take a ton of heat. But I couldn't be happier with the move and the bravery behind making that kind of move in a New York market where it looks stupid. But I think it is something a lot of Jeff, I, I, even the trade we made for the kid from the Colts. Like I just really like where we're going.
0: Yeah, Joe Douglas is a football guy, and the most important thing is he, Yeah, he gets along with Adam. You know, you could sense that there's. I see them talking to each other all right. the time at practice. There's a. There's a sync there. They're synced up and really, as you know, that's the that's the most important everybody's gotta be on the same page.
1: That's the most important part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean when you're running and you know, back to like what I do know, which is building big companies and organizations of success. Like if there is not cohesiveness at the most senior levels, you're in deep, deep, deep trouble. And I agree. And I think that it's a it's a huge coup. It's a huge, huge, huge coup so for you, the Jets. So, Gary, I mean, you, probably the most, yeah, go ahead.
0: No, no, no. I mean, I, I, you were just talking about the ownership thing. And so you obviously, you've said this a number of times that your lifelong ambition is to be the owner of the Jets. Is that, does that still hold? And, uh, you're still hoping one day that happens? And how realistic do you think?
1: Yeah, it's the only thing that holds. It's <laughs> by far my core business, you know, objective. And, you know, look. I mean, it's it's not the easiest thing to pull off, Rich. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's not you know just the sheer amount of wealth creation that's needed. Yeah. However, you know, I've, I've had a nice little run here, and I'm I'm a marathon runner, and I've been very thoughtful about you know things like selling a piece of my company VaynerMedia to Steve Roth. You know, um, uh, you know, which you know, I, I I don't know if you saw this, but um, I I bought in and I'm a partner in the call of duty team, uh, in Minnesota, along with the Wilkes, um, in the esports realm. And so what, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of things subtly that a lot of people may not be seeing as moves towards it, but it's exactly what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm also extremely, extremely young. I'm 43 years old. And, you know, if I buy the jets at 72 or 68, that would excite me, you know, I'm, and I, and I really, really think I've got a shot. I think I have a shot to amass a lot of wealth because I've done a very good job in executing on the field in the business world. And I think that, you know, at some level, you know, some things are written and I think I can't, you know, I can't explain it, but there's just something about this whole thing that feels like it's meant to be. And, and by the way, if it's not and the Johnsons decide to sell next week and I'm not in a position to be able to afford it, the the journey of trying to buy the Jets is been unbelievably satisfying to me. No, no different than the way I root for sports teams, which is I enjoy the journey almost more than the victory. Um, the journey of trying to get this team is is just super, super exciting and enjoyable. And and just being a diehard fan of a franchise that, you know, has the makeup of the New York Jets is, for me, the way I'm built, very, very fun. I think way too many fans... When I walk around New York City and I watch kids wearing, you know, Steph Curry jerseys or Tom Brady jerseys, like, I, I don't associate with that. I, I don't associate with getting my self-esteem from an outside source, I, I I'd rather be a winner than root for winners, and 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 more importantly, I just enjoy the process. Like I enjoy the process of trying to put it together, and uh, and as a fan, I enjoy sticking with my squad when everybody else, you know, is laughing at it. And I want to remind everybody: the two current super franchises in our culture, the you know the Warriors and the And the Patriots, unfortunately, like you don't have to go back very far to them being complete laughingstock organizations. So everybody sucks before they're great, and so I'm willing to wait it out.
0: What kind of owner would you be? Would you be a hands-on owner, or would you be more of the in the background?
1: I would be more hands-on. I'm 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 not going to lie. I know myself way too much. Now, what I'm really good at, and the same with my companies is if I tell you that you have this control, then you have this control. Meaning, you know, I, I, first of all, there's not a, as an owner of a team that is, would at that point be 1982, let's call it another, so what, 30. you know, there there are very few humans that are bigger Jet fans than me, right? So one of the great things about being an owner that's actually that big of a fan is when I talk, I'm talking like a fan and I think the fans would love that. Like, you know, like I I would definitely be I don't want to undermine my GM and my coach. I'm too smart for that. So I wouldn't meddle that way. But, for example, if I was interviewing Joe Douglas for the job, I'd say, Joe, listen, uh, you know, I don't claim to know football the way you are. That's That's your job. I'm the owner. But let me tell you this. Unless we have a quarterback that we've decided is the quarterback, I want you drafting a quarterback in the first round of every draft until we have the guy, because this is a quarterback league. That would be today. In 30 years, when I own the team, who knows what the league's going to evolve into? But you know, I would have certain things that I would be very passionate about. The other thing that I think would I'd probably be a little more vocal on is I'd really want to win New York's heart. So I probably have an interesting relationship with the current Giants ownership. Because not that I would be disrespectful, but I would, not make it, I would not make it confusing to anybody that my agenda would be to make the Jets New York's team.
0: Interesting. Interesting.
1: What do you think of the current
0: ownership of the Jets? You know, it's funny.
1: I, I am super kind of okay with it. I, and and I'll, here's what I would say about that. I, I'm, I'm so happy with the Douglas move and it just happened. And I really genuinely think that takes a lot of courage and self awareness, regardless of, and I don't have any insight on any of this. Regardless of whatever Chris saw between gaze and how it and Mac and how it played out, Rich, you've been around a long time. Firing a, a, a GM post free agency in a draft like that is highly unusual. Yeah. And what I, and so for me, for me, I think ownership currently has been okay. You know, like I, I, I'm so happy with the GM and the head coach that really that's all I care about from the, from, from an ownership standpoint, I don't care about anything other than the biggest decision, which is the executive that's going to run the organization from a football on the field standpoint. And right now, I mean, I'm really in the business of football and really understand that there was, there was maybe no human that I wanted more than Joe Douglas. I know Howie Roseman. Well, Uh, I'm very fond of Howie and think he's one of the best GMs in the league and so I had a lot of understanding of who, who Joe was, and I think we basically got the most interesting guy to run our team in football currently, and that pretty much makes me happy with ownership. And and for the record, just so everybody knows, because obviously there's places where I do have access, I have no relationship with Woody or Chris. Mm-hmm. Like I have a relationship with the business side of people. You know, we, you know when Matt Higgins was there, he's obviously went to Miami, but like. You know, Fred Manjone and all these other, Neil Glad, I know all those guys, but I've also stayed very respectful of the fact that I've been out unbelievably public about my ambition, which is, and, and because I'm nowhere close financially, I haven't really tried to go out of my way to establish in a relationship with the Johnsons because it's a little awkward. You got this loudmouth kid kind of running around. I have no concept. Of, first of all, I don't expect them to have any thought on it, but I've never gone out of my way to have that relationship. Um, cause I want to be respectful ultimately. And, and so, you know, I my, my point of view was when McKagan was the GM, I was not happy with the ownership. I'm willing to say that I thought Mac was a nice man, but I didn't like his GM style. And, and if this was the interview was being done last year, that's what would I, that's literally what I would have said. Right. Um, but right now I'm awfully happy.
0: Yeah, I think the thing about Joe Douglas that people may may not realize is that if he had stayed in Philadelphia this year after the season, there would have been several teams knocking on his door to try to get him to be their GM. So I think he has that kind of respect around the league, and I think I think maybe the, the Jets way. got him. In a, a pre- big way. yeah, he they made a preemptive strike. It, right, it was messy, and Christopher took a lot of heat, but maybe in the long run they come out looking good. You know, I think he's been aggressive so far with his moves. And, uh, so far, so good. Uh, you know, we've been, t- your, your jet knowledge blows me away. So I've been thinking for the last couple of minutes, I, I gotta come up with a trivia question for you. And so I came up with a question, Gary. And if you get this, I'll be, re- I'll be very impressed. I'll buy you a soda at the next game. How about that? So here's the question. Did,
1: did, All right. You ready? Did, did it happen for me? Did it happen from 1982
0: on, or is it prior to that? No, no, no. It's it's fairly recent. Uh, so when the Jets, okay, go ahead, ready? Go ahead. Okay, when the in, in 2009, when the Jets traded up, okay, to get Mark Sanchez, they made a trade with Cle- yeah. they made a trade with Cleveland, and they sent some. I remember. Yeah, they sent a pick and they sent some players. Now they sent involved in that trade was a, Abra a,
1: Milam Abram- right? Right.
0: I was going to ask you who, um, who the quarterback was that they sent to Cleveland.
1: Quarterback was.
0: You're right. A.B. Elam was one of the players. There was there were two other players, mm-hmm. and one other one was a quarterback.
1: All right, so real quick. Uh, here's what I remember about that. Mm-hmm. I remember um, that the Jets traded for Sanchez, and they were super high up. And I remember thinking, you know, I don't know if you know this, Rich, but my face is in play during the, that, actual, um, that actual draft pick. Oh really? Like I like when when they made that trade on ESPN, you can see me booing the pick, right? <laughs> because okay. I was because I was upset because my big thing was that I thought we traded the following years number 1 pick because we moved up right. to 20 something if you remember yeah. from that. So I was super duper duper worried about that pick, and I was um and I was super upset about it. I remember Abe Elam because uh because I was super in love with him as a player mm-hmm. um
0: <laughs> yeah, they traded Abe they traded their second round pick they they traded a defensive end named Kenyon Coleman. And they also. I tried. remember Kenny Coleman. Yeah. Oh, I remember Brett Ratliff. Oh, I almost had you. Damn it, good, good one. That Brett was, Ratliff Brett Ratliff is the Brett guy. Brett
1: Ratliff.
0: Yeah, he, I, I don't think he ever played yep. a game in the NFL. He was like a preseason star, and uh, that was the guy that Mangini wanted in Cleveland. They wanted Brett Ratliff, and that was the uh, what That's
1: that was, a, that, was a, that was that was a great trade by the Jets. That For was really a phenomenal trade. Like from. And from a point standpoint, but I will say this, like the number one defense and the number one running game, you know, Mm -hmm. we had pieces.
0: They had pieces. Yeah.
1: Chris, Chris Jenkins. I miss Jenkins. I'll never, he was such a dominant player for that team. When he got hurt, that was a real blow.
0: Uh, He was awesome. He was uh, on the OA team. He was a pro bowl player. I mean, I think Mike Tannenbaum probably told me, Mike, Mike Tannenbaum said that OA team with Favre, the one that beat Kentucky, uh, Tennessee was probably his most talented team he's had, and they just you know far had the shoulder injury and things went Fire. south. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Brett Ratliff, that is, I am very very impressed. I thought I had you stumped. Thank you. I thought I had you stumped. I'll have to come up with another one next time we Thank talk. You. <laughs> but, Gary. So I all right, so right, last question. Uh, so on Sunday, yes. you know, MetLife Stadium. What's what's your routine? Yes. You get there. How early do you get there? You're at. Yeah. You're tailgating, I assume. Take me
1: through. Uh, I tailgate uh, it. I get there at 9 or, you know, or 8. As soon as it opens five hours before, Is it 8 now, 8. Mm-hmm. Um, me and my crew, Alex, Playa, Aja, like a whole crew, uh, with, and we, we tailgate, we pontificate and debate. And, uh, and then three, maybe two or three home games I'll go, and I'll go on the field, you know, and watch the guys warm up, which is a lot of fun, um, and say what's up. And, uh, and the rest of the home games I'll just go an hour before kickoff I'm in Coach's Club, 50-yard line, 14th row. Like, was my prize acquisition when the PSLs became available. And and literally 30 minutes before kickoff, I'm already in the zone. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm already thinking about everything. I'm worried about and mm-hmm. just uh, get very focused.
0: And you'll be rocking a Greg Dortch jersey or something like that. On, yeah, I'm uh, trying
1: to think about. I'm trying to think about what I'm going to rock. Uh, <laughs> I, I may rock Quinnen since it's you know because I really like the kid. I don't know, but that might be a little too common. I have, to, I may have to go a little bit weird and a little more completely out there for the opener. But I'm really excited. I also think that I think we're going to win the opener. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a very big Josh Allen fan, and I'm not worried about Buffalo. But we need it. It's almost a must win. Yeah,
0: it would be a great way to get a start because you know Cleveland's coming in next week. They're good, and so that that opener looks like a, a big, big game. And uh, anytime you have a new regime, you always want to get yeah, off Cleveland on the right a foot.
1: Patriots. I mean Cleveland, the Patriots, Cowboys, the Eagles, like it's not so simple- of, you know of of a start, and Cleveland with if, if our secondary doesn't figure itself out real quick at least the corners, yeah like Cleveland could get really icky really fast, there's a lot of weapons on that team
0: they got weapons, that's for sure, and uh Anyway, Gary, thank you so much. This thank was you, this was this was thank great. You. I love I love hearing your jet stories and your take on the team and and your fandom. I think uh the 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 listeners will eat it up and uh, everybody knows you out there on social media. You're all over the place and I can't thank you enough. Hopefully, I'll see you at a game real soon and I wish you the best Thanks. of luck this season with your with your thank team you. and uh hopefully one of these years you get to follow them to a Super Bowl. I hope so, brother. Thanks, everybody. All right. Gary, take care. Thanks. And welcome to the third quarter. This is the Blindside, where you can blindside me with questions on Twitter. A great group of questions this week. So let's get right to it. At easy underscore racer. Going into the regular season, what is the dynamic between uh, Jets defensive coordinator Greg Williams and Jamal Adams, considering their confident personalities. Well, you're definitely talking about two alpha males here. These guys are uh, competitive. They're outgoing. Uh It's an interesting dynamic because I think Greg coaches Jamal in a different way than the other players. He knows J- Jamal is the leader on that defense. One of the first conversations that Greg Williams had with Jamal was he went up to him and he said, uh, you know, I've coached better guys than you at safety. And, uh you know, it's kind of an old school coaching method, you know, knocking down the biggest player. And, of course, you know, Greg Williams has coached so many great safeties, including Sean Taylor. So, And I've seen Greg make comments to that effect on the practice field to Jamal. And I think he's just pushing buttons. But I think that'll be a, be a good relationship between two type A personalities. Next question is at Rick, R-I-K underscore U-K Jets. How long do you think it will take Joe Douglas to realistically build a playoff roster? Is it possible within Darnold's rookie contract? Rick, it better be. I mean, this is year two for Darnold. He's got two more years left on his rookie contract, and they are absolutely trying to build this now. That's the way it is in the NFL now. You have a window with a young quarterback And you know, he's going to get the big bucks after four years. So you got to do it within that window because otherwise it throws your salary cap structure out of whack. And I think it's possible next year. I think they're close now to being a playoff contender with one good draft and one more good free agency period. I think the Jets could be a playoff contender next year. Uh, That is the plan for their, for them for sure. Next question at J Roaming T on. Was Polite really that bad enough to justify him dropping into the third round? Uh, Look, Ja'Kai Polite had a good year last year at Florida. We all know that. He had 11 sacks. Major, major questions about him in the draft because of off the field, character issues, work ethic. I wrote about it during the draft. In fact, when the Jets drafted me, drafted him, I texted a a scout that I know from another team, and I said, what's up with Ja'Kai Polite? Does he have any issues? And the scout texted me back from another team, and he said, he doesn't have issues. He is an issue. And so right from then, I knew that this guy was going to be trouble for the Jets. I tweeted out that quote, by the way, uh, after I got it, after the Jets picked him, and I got a nasty text from someone in the Jets' war room who was saying, uh, you know, let give this guy a chance. So the Jets gave him a chance, and it didn't work out. You know, he, was, he couldn't show up on time to a meeting, so they cut him, uh, and they move on. But uh, next question, at BKAK47, love the podcast, Rich. Thank you. And with all the acquisitions, what order now are the corners on the depth chart? And are they any good? Well, I'll tell you the order. You're going to have Tremaine Johnson as your starters on the outside, and you're going to have Brian Poole in the slot. That is a very important position this week because he'll be covering Cole Beasley of the Bills. And their number four corner is Nate Hairston. They just picked him up from the Colts. He's experienced. Uh, he's more of a zone corner. So I don't think they're going to try to put him in many man situations. Um, you know, they'll be playing three corners most of this game, probably 60 to 70% of the time, but don't be surprised if they use Hairston in a specialized role, maybe even as a blitzer, something different. Greg Williams always likes to use every player on his bench. Next question at Big D 1317. What do you think Sam Darnold's touchdown and interception numbers will be this year? Big D, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Write it down. Lock it up. That's going to be the number. And our last question at K Poppy24. Could the Jets be inching closer to more of a 4 3 alignment on defense? given the situation at defensive line and linebackers with uh, you know they have 10 d-linemen on the roster uh and uh, actually nine and then also eight linebackers now so that's a lot and the answer is yes and let me give you these numbers from the preseason according to nfl next gen stats the jets played 193 plays in nickel they were in 3-4 fronts on 35 plays and 4-3 front On 19 plays, I think you will see a closer balance between 3-4 and 4-3. So the answer is yes, I do think they will play more 4-3 because, quite frankly, they don't have that many starting caliber linebackers. And welcome to the fourth quarter. This is the Red Zone. We're almost done. And this is, I really like this quarter because, uh, gets a little personal. I share stories from the beat, from the press room. And this is opening day. It's Jets and Bills. Uh, so I want to just share some opening day memories from my time covering the team. It, it seems like there's so many of them because, man, you just never know what's going to happen on week one of an NFL season. So I've kind of grouped them into different categories. As I said at the top, been covering the team for 31 years so i've been i know opening day i've been to quite a few and here's a couple of my uh memories that stick out the greatest individual performances curtis martin 2004 rushes for a buck 96 against the bengals and 2002 chad morton two touchdowns on kickoff returns including overtime against the bills those were two uh, the greatest individual performances uh, the most bizarre uh, opening day memory, 1990 at Cincinnati, Bruce Coslet's first game as the coach. He's going back to face his former team, the Bengals. The Jets have this no-name tight end named Doug Wellsand. He's a former Bengal himself. Before the game during warmups, he's bragging to his former teammates that he's going to get the ball on a tight end, end-around play. So like who who shares that with the opponent before the game? Doug Wellsant does. So the Jets sure enough, they get into a goal line situation during the game, they run an end around to Doug Wellsant, the play gets blown up, he loses 5 yards and the Bengals are laughing and the next day they tell the media that they knew exactly what was coming because of loose lips Wellsant. Couldn't keep his mouth shut. That was the most bizarre, most patriotic without a doubt. Uh the 10 year anniversary of 9/11. Uh, 2011 at MetLife Stadium. The Jets beat the Cowboys. That was an awesome scene. Uh, The most surreal opening day, 1997 at Seattle, Bill Parcells' first game as coach. The Jets win 41-3. to They came off a 1-15 season. The look on the players' faces in the locker rooms was priceless. It's as if they had just gone into a different universe. Parcells came in. Rescued them, 41-3, to on the road in Seattle, a tough place to play, and it was like they suddenly realized they were a football team. Never forget that post-game locker room. And uh, the most devastating opening day, without a doubt, 1999. Vinny Testaverde blowing out his Achilles against the Patriots. Pretty much sank the season. The biggest tease on opening day, Stephen Hill, 2012 against the Bills. He looked like an all world receiver on opening day. I mean, he torched the Bills. And that was the end of Stephen Hill. Never really heard from him again after that. The most emotional opening day, 1993. Uh, Dennis Byrd, who broke his neck almost a year earlier, walks out on the field at halftime. He walked out by himself for a halftime ceremony. The place, the old Meadowlands, went absolutely crazy. I'll never forget it. They say you're never supposed to cheer in the press box. Well, there was cheering that day when Dennis walked out, and I still can't believe he's gone. Uh, a tragic, tragic loss for everybody. Uh, the most, the worst omen on opening day, 2005. The Jets open at Kansas City with high expectations. They get absolutely waxed by the Chiefs during the game. My binoculars. I have it on the Jets bench. I see James Reed, uh, basically a no-name nose tackle, punch Jonathan Vilma, one of his teammates, in the face on the sideline. And after the game, the Jets. It was a bad locker room. They got blown out. I went up to Vilma. I got him alone. He already had a black eye. There was a shiner on his face, and I asked him about the fight on the sideline, and he actually tried to downplay it, saying it was no big deal. There he is telling me this while he's got, you know, his eye is swollen shut and black. And I wrote about it the next day. And so that was kind of a bad omen because the Jets proceeded to have a awful season. They went 4-12 and that year. And sometimes, you know, you don't. Sometimes you just feel these things and just that whole scene in the locker room, you know, with the teammates fighting was really a bad omen for the Jets. So those are some of my most memorable opening days. Look, this Sunday against the Bills, I am fired up. It never gets old. You walk into that stadium. It's a new season. Everybody's got a chance. Everybody's dreaming of the Super Bowl. I think Jet fans have a right to be optimistic because this is a pretty solid team with some exciting players. We get to see Le'Veon Bell for the first time. So be fired up. Maybe the Jets will make a memory that we'll be talking about for years to come. Uh, I certainly hope so. Uh, that's a wrap on the show. I want to thank my special, special guest, Gary Vaynerchuk, for sharing his fandom with us and his passion for the Jets and his knowledge for the team. Uh, thanks to my producer, Jeff Scopin. And thanks to you for checking in on Flight Deck. This will be every week during the season. We're going to have great guests and great content as we go forward. And so thanks for stopping by. Uh, And as always, a reminder, you could download us wherever you download your podcast. Do it and get Flight Deck. Give us a listen. It's going to be a fun year. The Jets, the 2019 Jets, are on their way. And uh, I am really, really looking forward to this season. Next week, we'll have plenty to talk about, about the Bills game and also looking ahead to the Browns in Week 2. In the meantime, if it's fourth down, when in doubt, don't punt. Go for it.